Next time, we'll take a cruise. Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the podcast which worships films where helicopters explode. Now, monks have never been the stars of the silver screen. Most commonly cited in historical dramas, they act as a kind of period window dressing and are generally portrayed as stout, jolly fellows whose love of God is matched only by their love of mead. True, Asian martial arts films in the 70s and 80s often featured monks of the Shaolin variety, kicking God-fearing arse whilst dispensing cryptic wisdom. But in Europe, monks have only ever been a marginal presence. So it's against this unpromising backdrop that we come to the film we're reviewing on this show. One that bravely smashes the stone tablets of convention and preaches a whole new gospel of monk cinema. So we're looking at Lasco Death Train. Now, my guest today has promised to enter into the spirit of the show by dressing in a scratchy brown habit and by shaving the hair from the top of his scalp. Let's just hope he hasn't taken a vow of silence or this could be a really tough show. With me today is Doug Tilly from Eric Roberts is the f- man. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing great. I'm going to guess that you got to beep that, that word in the title of my podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, just uh, don't remind uh, listeners too often of uh, what your podcast is. Otherwise, it's going to turn into a real beep fest. Look, iTunes made me uh, censor it, so I think I can censor it in my own speech. I know I'm, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm happy to be decked out in my monk gear. I feel – look, I've never felt closer to the whole kind of monkdom thing. I didn't realize that they could kick so much butt. <laughs> Well, this is uh, certainly a kind of a very different type of movie. If you're just used to, uh, you know, maybe you've watched uh, In the Name of the Rose. I think it is the Sean Connery, Mm. Christian Slater kind of uh, sleuthing monk movie. This is a whole different uh, kettle of fish. I would say so. Yes, it is a very different kettle of fish. That's, That's well said. And also, I think we should at least mention off the bat that this is a German movie. And I think we should both have a shot at the German title of the movie which is im auftrag des vatikans that, that's got to be pretty close right you know you sounded like you're a native german there yeah i was i just tried to up the anger level a little bit <laughs> uh but no you know lasco death train is a very unusual title and i feel like i keep forgetting it like i mean the death train part of course i remember every time i think about this movie but the the fact that lasco and of course we're going to get into this is one of the characters names i feel like there was like a translation and they're like we are going to call this movie death train and then they found out that there's like a half dozen other movies <laughs> called death train and they're like well uh just stick the guy's name at the top of it and that'll be fine and it's so awkward to see it written down it actually is kind of a amusing in and itself just to have a title like that well i mean there is a a line in this movie which uh made me think actually a better title for this film would have been uh, fist of god yeah no kidding right it would have fit naturally with the film it's punchy it's short it sounds like uh it sounds intriguing mysterious sounds like there's going to be some action and violence in there so you know that's a much better title for the film if i now this movie and I hope we're not getting ahead of ourselves. This movie was later turned into a television series based mm. on this main character. And I think that that TV series might have translated to Fist of God, which just reinforces what you just said. Well, before we get any deeper into the movie, I thought uh, I might just ask you, uh, have you got any particular favorite monks in movies? Oh, what a great question. Let's see. <laughs> favorite monks. Well, there's been so many. I'm going to go with... <laughs> the classic Friar Tuck performance, to me, is Porky Pig 
in, <laughs> in the classic Looney Tunes shorts featuring Daffy Duck as Robin Hood. Uh, so yeah, no, Porky Pig, a, a great monk. And of course, Tony Shaloub as Monk, the, uh, the television series. <laughs> you know, honestly, when I think of monks and movies, I forgot about the category of monks I actually do have a lot of interest in, which is like Shaolin monks, which mm. of course I've, there's certainly plenty of, uh, martial arts movies which feature Shaolin monks, but the one that immediately comes to mind is Enter the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, uh, which oh, yeah. sort of kind of, I think, brought that concept to the West to some extent. And and boy, if, if I was going to be ranking my favorite monk movies, which is apparently what we're doing now, that would probably be right at the top. Well, let's move this conversation along from uh, monk no, movies. No, let's not. Let's keep talking about <laughs> monks in movies. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to insist that we move along. Uh, move this oh, conversation along. You're the host. Okay. This is my show. Uh, oh, actually, shut up, dog. But, um... <laughs> so that's what that feels like. Now, I'm going to move this conversation along and uh, let's talk about uh, helicopter explosions in film. Now, obviously, I have chosen to dedicate my life to uh, celebrating this uh, minor trope of uh, largely action movies. But uh, I wanted to find out uh, from you, as you're a guest on this show, what do you think of helicopter explosions in film? Do you think they're a good thing? Or Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Look, the thing about a helicopter that makes it so unique and wonderful as an explosive kind of center is that it can hover, right? Mm. It's not flying quickly overhead. It's not kind of stationary like a lot of cars are or even kind of moving at a fair clip. But like it can be in almost any position, right? It can hover in front of a building. When I think of the uh, explosion from I think it's Stone Cold where the motorcycle goes into oh, yeah. maybe the, the classic helicopter explosion, right? Or the or and this isn't an explosion, but when uh, the the uh, the Terminator and Terminator Two, the liquid metal goes into it and and makes the guy jump out of the helicopter. You can hover it in front of a building. You can have it moving at a fair clip, maybe even in right in front of a. Uh, <laughs> Of a train in some capacity. <laughs> um, so, look, if you can get a, a helicopter and you can fill it with some sort of explosive device and you can blow it up, there's also, like, pieces of metal that can go in any sort of direction, right? And dangerous pieces of metal. Boy, it just seems like the perfect thing to blow up. I, I can see why you would base a podcast around it because I would never get tired of watching helicopters explode in a variety of different ways, which is a good thing for the movie that we're talking about here. It, it certainly is. You know, and if you are tired of watching helicopters explode in movies, then you are tired of life. That's my, uh, that's a credo I live by, Doug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I think you would be an idiot to disagree with that. Well, I think it's time we put down the communion wine and wafers and got stuck into uh, Lasco. So let's listen to the trailer with a wonderfully portentous voiceover. On the way to escape the curse of memories. Looking for inner peace. He decides to serve God. Lasco is the ideal man for us. Pugna's day? What's that? It's a secret order. And he encounters the devil. My name for today is Lucifer. Your eminence, it's the pilgrim train to Lords. We have a situation. Maybe they want to hijack it. What did they steal from the safe? Death Train, or Lasco Death Train as it's sometimes called, came out in 2005. 
After stealing a deadly virus from a government laboratory, a group of terrorists try to elude the police by making their getaway on a train full of pilgrims who are off to see the Pope. Unfortunately for them, a former soldier turned monk called Lasco is also on board. He is being lined up as the newest recruit to a secret order dedicated to protecting the church. So when the terrorists threaten to unleash the virus on thousands of pilgrims, Lasco must decide whether he will remain a man of peace or whether he will become the fist of God. This film is a German made-for-TV movie, so there aren't really any familiar faces in the cast. Lasco is played by a German martial artist called uh, Mathis Landwehr. Uh, however, the villain is played by the great Arnold Voslow, who I'm sure you'll remember from Hard Target, The Mummy, and the uh, notorious canon fantasy adventure, Gore. Uh, <laughs> Death Train has a 4.3 rating on IMDb and a 28% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Despite such negativity, the film obviously had some fans because in 2009, a TV series showing Lasco's further adventures protecting the church came out. So uh, all that is by way of background. Doug, what did you make of uh, Death Train? I think it depends on your expectations going into it. This is no way going to be as slick as, as your U.S. Uh, high-budgeted action movie, but it does make up for what it lacks in production value with lots of fight scenes, big explosions, and a kind of a unique concept. Uh, just the idea mm. of this train full of monks and pilgrims and the kind of drama that you find in it. There's obviously lots of opportunities for comic relief as well. It does kind of feel like the pilot for a TV series because it, it does set up <laughs> those kind of supporting characters. It does kind of set up – at the very end, especially that, okay, uh, Lasco, he is like the, the head fist of God. Boy, that would have been a better title. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when the Pope needs an ass kicked, he knows who to call. He calls Lasco, who, like you said, is an ex-soldier who is obviously suffering from some PTSD as well. But that is not something that we're going to care about here. <laughs> and he has he has a slightly overweight monk friend who's kind of his second, right? That yep. he's going to be the guy who kind of backs him up in all of this action in the future. I mean, I'm not going to say that I would sit down and watch however many episodes of that TV series. I think there's two series of it that existed. But I can see how it was a concept that could carry a TV series. That said, the religious bent is what is most interesting about this movie because mm. you don't usually see that in, in action movies. You certainly don't. And, uh, you know, I kind of agree with a lot of what you said there, because I think it is very entertaining. And I think if you've got a sense of humor, you can uh, really enjoy this movie. And uh, as you say, I think the religious premise of this movie is the most sort of interesting uh, aspect of this movie, because you have the central character here is a guy called Lasco. And as you mentioned, he's a, a former soldier who's haunted by what he's seen serving in the in the military and you know he's then become a monk to escape his past but uh, as we find out at the beginning of this movie he's been earmarked as a as a new recruit for uh, Pugnus Day who are this secret organization that uh, protects the church but uh, you know <laughs> poor old, poor old Lasco he, he does seem a rather strange person for them to be zeroing in on because you know he just wants to to live a quiet peaceful life and you know he's trying to deal with his PTSD I, I, it felt to me a little bit unchristian that they were so hell-bent on recruiting him to this organization I mean I don't disagree uh, but then again I do feel that the Catholic Church is uh, kind of built around contradiction and, and, and 
Look, I don't want to get too controversial, but also hypocrisy in a certain way, right? I mean, he does seem to fit the Christian model of, you know, turn the other cheek. He is he wants to live, like you said, a very nonviolent life. But honestly, shouldn't he be able to do that? Right? Shouldn't that be you know, that seems like a, a valid, worthwhile goal. He's someone who was in war, is suffering from PTSD, he wants to live a quiet life of peace. That's why he became a monk. Like it's the reason he became a monk. He's like I, I'm like going to give up the the regular world because I just want to never have to deal with that again. And they literally force him back into this, right? I mean, it is sort of like he is supposed to be a Rambo figure, except without a First Blood movie where it kind of explores this PTSD in some detail. And we don't ever see him kind of break down outside of these kind of black and white visions of his experience in war. It It does kind of imply that war is bad. However, violence is not bad in a right cause, which I guess is sort of a uh, – it kind of goes along with a lot of, of uh, well, I would say evangelical <laughs> views of how the world works in 2018. But it does seem kind of contradictory at times, and I will say that despite the fact that Lasko jumps right into things once, uh, once he's forced into it, which, by the way, takes about half the movie before mm. he really kind of commits to the whole thing, almost falls off a train right before too um, – I would have liked to have seen a. I mean, even though he's shown to be very hesitant, I would have liked to have seen him kind of battle with that a little bit more. But then again, this is an action movie. It is not meant to be a uh, strict, serious portrayal of a traumatized person kind of uh, getting back into the game. Well, there's a couple of other subplots in this film that uh, I thought it might be uh, might be interesting to sort of touch on. So the most prominent mm. involves a young single mother who is on this train to see the Pope with her 10-year-old son who is terminally ill with a rare blood disorder. And I don't know, what did you make of this little boy here? Well, <laughs> this is a particularly annoying kid. I mean... <laughs> Look, there's a part like right at the beginning after his mom has made this kind of weird bungee jump protest against the church that like they're going to get on this train, which is basically their last gasp at some sort of resolution to this kid's disease, which is that they're going to pray to God and they're going to go on a pilgrimage. Right. And that kid is so indecisive about ice cream that they almost miss it. Like, they come <laughs> really close to missing the train and like all I, and the kid was and his voice i don't i mean his voice is really irritating in this movie and everything he does he loves soccer that's like he's dying and he loves soccer that sorry sorry i he's dying and he loves football that is his defining <laughs> defining attributes in this movie but yeah he absolutely sucks and by the way i know that we're not supposed to be thinking this but there's 400 people on this train everyone's making a pilgrimage of those 400 how many do you think are probably terminally terminally ill people who are going to this place in 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 desperate need of some sort of a cure for a disease? Maybe 15, 20, 30? I like how we're focusing on these two people whose prayers are quote unquote answered when how many other people on this train could also use that sort of help? I don't want to get into a, a big thing about it, but I also thought it was so amusing at the beginning when she makes that protest. The priest takes her in and in and instead of like saying we will assist you with the vast <laughs> amounts of money that the church has available to them. Instead, here's two train tickets. Go ask the Pope for some money. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it's interesting that you mention, you know, how many else, uh, who else might be on this train, um, who, you know, who might need some medical help or <laughs> some assistance from God, because we do have uh, a couple of other uh, passengers on this train who they're the sort of the comedy relief pairing. So there's there's one guy who is blind and there's another guy who is uh, he, he, he has a lot of problems walking. Uh, I think it seems to be because he's got gout, but yeah, uh, he needs to even mention that. <laughs> and uh, they pop up regularly throughout this film sort of just sort of commenting on the uh, the situation sort of going on around them so there's a there's a scene where lasco is on top of the train and he, he looks like he's about to fall off and he's flapping around outside the window but of course the the blind man he can't see him but keeps sort of hearing something uh, uh at the corner and the the other guy who's his irritable friend is just sort of ah oh, you know you're imagining this you know oh god that's a good job you can't see anything you'd be a nightmare i don't know it reminded me of uh, another train based movie uh, the lady vanishes and i don't know mm. if you uh, remember the kind of comedy relief pairing in there of uh, charters and caldecott i think their names were absolutely in fact i think they uh, that hitchcock maybe even brought those characters back into was there there's some other context where they're actually in they another... had uh, those characters then uh, were spun off and they had their yes. own series of movies that's right and i mean of course would the, you like the, to the... see that happen with these with this pair well, that's, I was picturing that for the TV series, that wherever Lasko ends up, somehow these two characters are also there as well. And it just becomes this running joke that they end up like worldwide, internationally, just in the background, you know, is his own Rosencrantz and Guildenstern wherever he ends up. So, I mean, yeah, look, they're not very funny. Let's just face it. Also, the idea that obviously this blind guy is going to a pilgrimage in the hopes that it, that the pope or whoever is going to cure his affliction – that's played pretty much for a complete joke. It's like, nah, sorry, you're stuck with that, but have fun on the way. I did think that they were going to play into the climax in some way, like mm. that they were going to be there. Maybe they would be the ones who <laughs> – this is going to sound uh, strange for those who haven't seen the movie – that they would pass out the communion wafers that have the antidote to the poison that is supposed <laughs> to kill everybody. Like they would be a big part of that or something. But no, they are they are played purely – for comic relief and when they are no longer useful the movie just kind of forgets about them well let's touch a little bit on kind of how this movie integrates uh, sort of religion into this movie because we've, we've we've talked about this uh, the kind of the subplots with the, the this mom and her and her son looking for a miracle to to save his life but throughout the film there are some interesting little touches where the christian faith is kind of woven into the film and you've mentioned one of them already where where the vaccine for this lethal virus which is on board this train is passed out via the medium of religious wafers uh, what did you think of uh, some of the other little uh, sort of ways there's one particularly very entertaining one i want to see if you're going to mention it uh, before i prompt you Oh, I probably won't. I mean, I, all I'm thinking about right now is the fact that the major theme of this movie is that prayer works sometimes, <laughs> right? That's, it says, like, even the priest at the very beginning, no, I think even, even, uh, Lasco says to the kid, he's like, you know, you pray and it'll work sometimes. And, and that's kind of what you're supposed to take away from it. It's like, never give up faith, have unwavering faith that it could happen that you this miracle will come true but it's also possible that it won't <laughs> you know uh so which is a kind of a, an odd perspective but also the only i was going to say realistic one but only the only one that kind of makes sense in the context of how the world actually works but in terms of the uh uh oh are you are you talking specifically about the monk who gets shot and ends up stopping the bullet with <laughs> 
I mean, the classic stopping the bullet with the Bible, which also has some sort of uh, medallion at the at the mm. back of it that <laughs> that also <laughs> keeps him from being killed. There is a lot of religious iconography. There's people crossing themselves and crossing others and things like that. And also the fact that outside the train people, the people who are keeping an eye on the situation and making decisions mm. about what's going to happen to the train, that that involves a representative from the church there. And he is shown as being very pragmatic uh, while also getting angry at someone for making like literally the only decisions that they can make. <laughs> Well, the uh, the one bit of this uh, this film that uh, that I did want to uh, to mention uh, with regards to I guess weaving its kind of religious theme into the script, but I guess also weaving a uh, a popular culture moment into the script is that. Uh, uh, there's this uh, priest on board the train who is uh, droning on prayers out to uh, uh, to everybody on board. And uh, Voslo comes along and uh, grabs the mic off him in order to make a, an announcement to uh, everybody on board. And there is a uh, there's a, a oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What an odd thing. Okay, I'm, I'm going to let you describe it, but it yes, a musical cue that was uh, completely unexpected. <laughs> yeah, so um, so Voslo grabs this microphone and um, makes an announcement to the the kind of everyone on board the train, where he basically is parodying or kind of paraphrasing the lyrics to the Rolling Stones song "Sympathy for the Devil." So uh, he grabs this microphone and sort of says, "Please allow me to introduce myself, uh, and uh, you know you can call me Lucifer." And uh, the there's a very uh very clearly obviously this film didn't have a big budget clearing sympathy for the devil uh, for use in this film was never going to happen but uh, some enterprising musician has uh, cobbled together a similar but legally uh, not uh, similar enough cover version of uh, sympathy for the devil to play in the background which uh, i i found that one of the more inspired moments of this film <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I when when the kind of yelps that kind of happen at the beginning of Sympathy for the Devil, like like a weirdly imitated, not like you said, just a little off version of that intro started playing, I'm like, what is happening? There's no <laughs> way that they're gonna play that song here. And you know, yeah, it is just play as kind of a light instrumental in the background. But yeah, in terms of odd moments, and it kind of like I never kind of positioned this villain character as being so kind of Satan like that that you know this is more like a battle against mm. evil as opposed to a battle against i don't know capitalism or something like that <laughs> but that kind of kind of reinforces it to kind of really take us back to that traditional faith-based structure of a movie again not that we've seen i've seen many faith-based action movies in the past hey but there's a few of them out there well let's talk about the action in this movie because mm. that's essentially what it, this film is uh, attempting to do um it has got some uh, pretty spectacular action sequences in this despite the fact that it is uh, a very low budget movie yeah no absolutely and i think it helps a lot that the actor who plays lasco mathis lanver he he's obviously a very talented mm. martial artist uh we see him training at the beginning of course we do uh and and <laughs> And, you know, in terms of hand to hand combat, he's he's I think he's done a lot of Hollywood movies. I think he worked on Speed Racer and things like that. Uh, so he's worked with the Wachowskis. You know, so it's it's a, a case where you have a obviously very physically talented person. You have a lot of people involved in this who are stunt performers. So 
the explosions are going to be bigger and better than you'll see in your average straight-to-video or made-for-TV action movie. And the fight scenes, there obviously has been some care put into them. I don't know if a lot of the people on the other end have the same sort of fighting skill as uh, Lasko does uh, in, in real life. Mm. Uh, but, you know, there's two lengthy fights on top of a train, uh, and both of them are pretty impressive. I think maybe doing two of them is overkill, but one might say that having two helicopter explosions might be overkill, <laughs> but that, that didn't stop them in this case either. That said, look, they're impressive, particularly there's one really good hand-to-hand fight scene that takes place in one of the train carriages. Mm. Uh, Lasko has this great, unique move where he steals people's belts while, <laughs> while <he's> fighting them. <laughs> Why, I don't know where he that learned happen? that. Why did that happen? Why was that necessary? <laughs> he not only stole the guy's belt, he put it on himself, which I thought was an interesting move. It's like because he's a monk, they also play up the fact that he wants to beat the hell out of these people, uh, literally, mm. but he doesn't want to kill them. So whenever <laughs> they end up doing things that will kill them, uh, it always has to happen by happenstance, like one person gets knocked and they're just about to fall out of the train and he's reaching, trying to catch them, even though it's going to endanger all the more people to have them on the train. And even though falling off that train almost certainly will not kill this person, it will just get him off the train. But uh, the person falls because the thing he's holding on to lets go. Uh, that just reminded me, by the way, we have to mention the greatest moment in this movie where we have of the villains, we have, you know, the the, the main vi- villain, which is Arnold Vosloo, and we have... His, his underlings, and one of them is a woman who's incredibly capable. She's the technical person, right? Mm. She's shown to be on the ball the entire movie. And the way that she meets her end is <laughs> might be the dumbest thing I've seen, but also the most entertaining. She climbs up to the front of the train to try to stop it. I'm sorry if you were going to mention this anyway, but i got to talk about it now. No, go for it. She has a rocket launcher with her or some sort of bazooka, which they've used earlier very effectively. She has it on her person, I guess just as a way to threaten the conductor, just to make him stop this train. As she's climbing up to the front, she gets it caught on something and accidentally shoots off a rocket that then turns 90 degrees <laughs> and comes back and blows her and the entire front like part of the train blows them up. Like, she, for a character that's meant to be as capable as as probably any that we see in the entire movie, she dies in the dumbest way possible. (laughs) And, of course, hey, maybe God did it, right? I guess maybe we're supposed to think God controlled the rocket and put it right back at her. Like, that, you know, you reap what you sow to coin a phrase. Exactly. And uh, I think there's a superb little punchline to to that uh, thoroughly bizarre sequence where uh, the the kind of the rocket comes back and and blows up the sort of entire front of the train. But obviously it, the train has to keep running because you mm. know the, this train can't stop. And um, you know somebody sort of says, "Oh, how come the train's still moving?" And, and Lasco says, "Oh, well, it's a it's a diesel engine." So <laughs> like as if yes. that as if that explains why the train is still <laughs> intact after after it's been bazookaed. I like how it seems like within the train. No one is aware of what's going on outside yes. the train, right? Like even the kid sees like a rocket go by at one point, but like th- there's literally massive explosions mm. and multiple helicopters around the train and no one seems to be aware that these are happening at all. Even when at the end when they – again, we're, we're jumping to the end, but even when the train runs into a helicopter and the helicopter explodes 
a million different times. There doesn't seem to be any impression that the people on the train are like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? Most of them just seemed like – and there's also another part where the train hits a vehicle that's on the track. <laughs> no one seems that, that bothered by that well, as well. Even, well, even after Arnold Vosloo makes his announcement to everyone on the train that they are you know, essentially his captives and they're at risk of uh, him poisoning them. Every, you you see uh, people in the carriages like later on after after he's done that they're all just sort of you know sitting around passing the time you know they they, they, they seem to very have uh, taken a very laid back uh, approach to the situation they find themselves in I, I guess they're just trusting in God yeah they have faith so I guess that That's that all you need. trumps that trumps common sense every single time. <laughs> But uh, yeah, just going back to the the action here, uh, as you say, the uh, the fight scenes um, there are they are actually uh, pretty good. I would agree with you. There's uh, the two in particular where I think it's clear that, uh, as you're saying, Mathis Landwehr he knows what he's doing, and whoever they've got impaired with in that scene has obviously got is obviously somebody who is used to performing fight sequences. But uh, the director does though clearly sort of uh, had taken a diploma course from the uh, Michael Bay School of Direction. Absolutely. Yeah, just constant cutting, right? But I mean, I imagine that's in some ways to hide the limitations of mm. some of the performers here. It's a shame because sometimes you see like a, a fight between two obviously very capable people and they'll do like four or five moves in a row and there's no editing between it. And, you, yeah. and it's so much more impactful. Yeah. And, and it, 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 and it also, you know, it, it's so much more impressive for someone who, enjoys watching martial arts style movies so yeah but you're right most of the time it's just so many edits that it's hard to tell what is going on uh well this film does take place primarily on a train there's a sequence at the beginning where they're stealing the the virus from this uh, laboratory and there's a there's a car chase sequence there mm. and there's some uh, you know as somebody who grew up in the 90s watching a lot of pm entertainment movies which where it seemed to be contractually obliged for a car to sort of be blown up and then sort of uh corkscrew sort of 360 <laughs> degrees in the air there was a there was an excellent sequence at the beginning of this movie where we see some vehicles getting uh blown up and flipped about in uh sort of time-honored pm entertainment uh, tradition these cars they get launched like some of them flip like a like like six or seven times in the air it is it is actually a very very impressive stunt uh they just decided that they were going to blow the heck out of these vehicles and it and it, you know it's it's obviously you know uh uh they had a segment of the street that they could do whatever they wanted with but there are buildings on either side of it it is unbelievable how much explosion and uh, explosive carnage that they have managed to uh, achieve there uh yeah i will say that whatever failings this movie has the quality of the things blowing up real good uh is is very high they decided that they were going to put the money where it would be most visually uh, appealing and also uh you know they i think they know their audience they want to see stuff blown to heck and that's what they do here amen to that dog <laughs> well you know what we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action i'm clint and i'm jared and we're the hosts of the podcast alcoholywood your source for inebriation which you're not listening to right now because this is just a promo for a weekly podcast on all kinds of movies new old good bad yeah especially bad Plus, we invent a cocktail and a drinking game inspired by each film. And sometimes we make jokes. Not this time, but sometimes. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher and check out the whole shebang at AlkaHollywood.com. 
We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. The first comes when the police attempt to stop Voslo escaping with the virus. They order in a helicopter full of commandos to storm and seize the train. As the chopper hovers above the moving carriages, the brave commandos slide down ropes to try and get on board. Unfortunately, the villains have sneakily brought along a rocket launcher as carry-on luggage for their journey. Uh, one of the baddies leans out of a carriage window, fires the missile, blowing up the helicopter. The second moment of chopper carnage happens right at the end of the movie. To make his escape, Voslo whistles up his own helicopter to whisk him off the roof of the train. Naturally, Lasko isn't going to allow this, so the pair proceed to have their long-awaited showdown on top of the train. Unsurprisingly, Lasko prevails in the fight, so Voslo pulls out uh, a pistol to shoot our hero. Uh, Voslo's aim is inexplicably bad, and he <laughs> succeeds only in haplessly shooting the pilot of the chopper hovering nearby. Voslo leaps onto the chopper landing ski in the expectation that he'll be flown away, but the mortally wounded pilot can only manage to steer the whirlybird into the path of the onrushing train. Doug, what did you make of all this exploding <laughs> helicopter carnage? Like, not just towards the train in some way, like, immediately, like, straight <laughs> on. Like, this dying pilot could not have done a better job of flying directly at a train uh, <laughs> if he was making, like, a, a concerted effort. Look, I'm not an expert on exploding helicopters like uh, like you are, obviously. I mean, it, it is kind of your bread and butter. But these are two high-quality explosions. They don't use digital oh, yeah. effects. You know, this is a very kind of physical, uh, uh, very kind of real feeling. I mean, the, certainly the situation around them, maybe not so much. But when you see these things explode, they are it is something that's physical that has been loaded down with explosives and they're blowing it up. And you are also seeing it from every angle that you could possibly do it. It's it does get a little Michael Bay-y in that it's constantly cutting away. Mm. We're, we're, we're always seeing the reactions of other people. But, it, you know, if they're going to if they're going to extend an explosion that in real time would take about uh, like half a second and extend it to like 30 seconds, then you're going to get your money's worth out of these explosions. They obviously had access to a lot of helicopters when making this movie. They even work one into the post uh, action sequence at the very end mm, to, they do. to whisk, to whisk Glasgow off for more potential helicopter explosions in the future. <laughs> um, hey, th this movie gives us two, what I would say are very high quality helicopter explosions both of them very satisfying in some ways i think the first one might be a little more satisfying than the second oh, really? but, but i do i like i think i like you know what maybe it's because i don't see enough rocket launchers being used to turn and i'm sure again you do turn choppers into giant fireballs and i did like how it kind of exploded outwards or we're talking about kind of general aesthetics and, and my own taste in regards to that. The one at the end felt a little Mission Impossible-ish with the fireball kind of coating the front of the train. Uh, it also kind of felt very kind of climactic, while the one that came earlier was a bit more of a surprise because it was such a huge action thing sort of at the halfway mark of the movie. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone who's a fan of watching helicopters being blown up could be unsatisfied with how they are presented in this movie. Now, there are a number of uh, train and uh, helicopter uh, explosions uh, in cinema. You mentioned one of them, which was uh, Mission Impossible, which uh, has a very famous sequence that takes place uh, in the Channel Tunnel, where uh, Jean Renault is piloting this helicopter after uh, the uh, Eurostar train. But the only, there's only one other film, Doug, where you get to see 
a helicopter ramming or being rammed by a train can you mm. name it oh my goodness hmm i hesitate to guess is it a modern action movie it's one from the 80s and mm. helicopters were central to the entire concept of this movie so think is it blue thunder it is blue thunder oh so at the end well, you of... know what there was a time in the early 80s when people were really into helicopters <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you had airwolf you had mm-hmm. uh, blue thunder was a movie and then it became a tv series uh, mm-hmm. as well so <laughs> yeah blue thunder at the end of that movie um, you see roy scheider park uh, the blue thunder helicopter in front of a train which then uh, rams into it and that's another particularly good train related uh, exploding helicopter so uh, yeah I was, I was surprised when he said smile you son of a bitch before it <laughs> ran into it <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> but uh, you have uh, you've witnessed here uh, doug uh, a very rare exploding helicopter event so uh, you know I, I hope you feel that uh, you know you've been you've been brought you know that you're now part of a of a really sort of niche club of people who have witnessed uh, you know helicopters being blown up by trains I feel like I now fully and completely understand your fascination, <laughs> if not obsession, with the idea of these helicopters uh, exploding in in these variety of different ways. Uh, I don't know where it fits in the oeuvre of the entire helicopter explosion genre, but I will say that of the ones I've seen, the, the two that feature in this movie are very high up there on the list. They certainly are. Right, I think it's time to say the last rites on this podcast. Doug, thanks for joining me on the show. Do you want to take a minute to tell people um, about your podcasting activities and you know kind of where they can find you online? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me. I have two podcasts at the moment. One of them is Eric Roberts is the effing man, which you can find <laughs> at ericrobertsistheman.com. You can also find that on Twitter at eri. TFM uh, that focuses, of course, on the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. Uh, me and my co-host Liam O'Donnell, we made a blood oath to cover everything Eric Roberts has ever made, and we are going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who think that's a ridiculous concept, well, I got to meet Eric Roberts and, and interview him live on stage, and you didn't, so <laughs> – <laughs> la da I also have a, another podcast fo- uh, featuring um, and focusing on low-budget and ultra-micro-budget movies, uh, usually made for less than ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. That's called No Budget Nightmares. You can find that at NoBudgetPodcast.com or on Twitter at NoBudgetPodcast. And you can, of course, find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Well, I would heartily recommend anyone listening go out and uh, do yourself a favor, subscribe to their shows. They're both uh, excellent. I thoroughly enjoy uh, listening to them. I was I was privileged to uh, to be on uh, one of your uh, podcasts on the uh, Eric Roberts is the uh, masking tape man, and <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a, a great fun time talking about uh, another low budget action movie called The Alternate. Is that what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. You know, it's it's an excellent episode. I think of Eric Roberts is the man, uh, <laughs> and I will say that of the movies that we featured on that program, I think about the alternate more than almost any other <laughs> one. <laughs> to the point where we did ask Eric Roberts some questions about the alternate when we got to to meet him face to face, and he gave us some interesting answers about maybe where that title came from. 
Well, like I say, go and check out both of Doug's podcasts. Do yourself a favour. As always, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website for other reviews of films where helicopters explode. If you like what we do, then show us a little love and spread the word about what we do. It would really help us out. We'll be back soon. So until then, keep looking, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.